everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subchuck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subchuck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, part of the Believe Network. We're coming to you after the Carlos Heelis New England Revolution fell 2-1 at the New York Red Bulls in controversial fashion. With the Revs already trailing 1-0, Latif Blessing received his first career MLS red, red card in the 60th minute to put the Revs in an even deeper hole. Brandon By then scored an equalizer for the shorthanded Revs in the 76th minute, but the Revs again fell behind on an 85th minute after a turnover. It looked like the Revs had found another equalizer in the last minute of stoppage time on a long-range shot from Andrew Farrell off a corner kick, but the goal was ruled off in controversial fashion due to Giacomo Rioni being offside and being ruled to have impacted the play. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Hayden Bird from the Boston Globe. Hayden, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, maybe a little bit better than uh, Bruce Arena, but um, yeah, going well. That's not always like a, a, a good factor to judge something by necessarily. Um, but yes, that's that's where I'm at at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's a lot to take away from from this game. There's a lot of controversy, uh, a lot of disappointing performances from some individuals. We'll get into all that. Before we jump into takeaways, I want to mention our sponsor quickly. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Let's get right into our key takeaways brought to you by our friends at the Rebellion Supporters Group. Be sure to check them out on Twitter at AnyRebellion and on their website, AnyRebellion.org. Hayden, what was your takeaway from this one? Um, just that, I mean, you know, um, it was a game that was without Carlos Hill. And so you really get a sense, you know, you always get a sense of something when it's not there, I guess, when in sort of any context, uh, that's always a good indicator and with uh heel not being in the lineup you just saw a completely different team obviously they were always going to uh play kind of a different way playing against uh red bulls with that press but i think carlos would have been even more valuable in a game like that as a result you need someone who can keep the ball in tight situations and as much as i like asmir byrak terovich as a young player obviously that was an impossible circumstance to put him in in terms of a like-for-like like replacement. I know Bruce said that before the game. No one can replace him, and no one expected Esmir to play that role. But they still, nonetheless, really just struggled, you know, not just him, but just sort of across the board and just keeping the ball. And so going forward, I mean, I know that, you know, we saw that in 2020 when Carlos was out for a while, but if he misses any time significantly or if he's not there for the playoffs, I mean, it really limits their ceiling, I think, as a team, and, and we saw that. 
Yeah, I think when Carly Hilo's out, the Revolution need everything to go right to to manage to get a win, and that certainly didn't happen there. And that's kind of my my takeaway is kind of similar to yours is that you know they needed players to step up in Carly's absence, and I don't think we really saw that. Uh, you know, there were way too many mistakes in this game. Ben Sweat, I you know, hate to dig too deep into him. We haven't been very positive about him on the podcast, but it was a bad performance from him. I think a while ago there was talk about Ryan Spaulding and his height and how that kind of it can be a negative for the Revs to have Spaulding and Boateng on the left side. It's, it's you know obviously not a lot of height between those two, but you know Ben Sweat six foot one, and on that first goal he just doesn't attack the ball. So it, you know it doesn't matter how much height you have if you don't attack the ball. He was in a better position to win that and was just too slow to react. So that was really disappointing. I, I you know, again he had fifty three percent passing accuracy in this game. Uh, not not a good showing from Ben Sweat, but just overall not a good showing from this team and guys didn't step up in, in Carlos Hill's absence and you know Dewan Jones being out on top of Carlos Hill that makes a big difference because Jones is you know very solid defensively but also adds something to the attack and when you're missing Carlos Hill who's you know your number one creator and you also don't have a guy like Dewan Jones who's really good at creating from the flanks that's really going to hurt you um so you know a, a number of guys missing Noel Buck as well we've seen what he can do offensively for this team uh, defensively as well but offensively I think they really missed that and you talk about the press you know, when you don't have solid passers kind of in the middle of the field to keep the ball moving, uh, that really impacts the team and their ability to kind of come, come away from the press that the New York Red Bulls do. And, you know, Carlos Hill being out obviously huge, but then that's compounded by no no, no, no Buck, no Dewan Jones. And, you know, speaking of guys that didn't have good performances, Latif Blessing, uh, you know, even before that red card, I don't think he had a very good performance. He's He's been kind of rough for the revolution uh, really for a while since that kind of the absence was, um, when he left the team, he hasn't been playing at his best, and it's been it's been a long time now for him, uh, where he's been underperforming. So, it, when again, when when Carlos Hill is out, he's so important to this team. Everybody needs to step up. Mistakes need to be minimized. None of that really happened in this game. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I, I also don't mean to, I guess, pick on an individual player in this case, Ben Sweat, but you know, he did. Yeah. He, he was sort of emblematic of that game in terms of the struggles. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the pass accuracy, 53%, obviously that's uh, you can't have that, but just, you know, then to your other point in terms of other players missing with, without Dewan, it's like a 14 point swing to use a football metaphor, I guess. And in terms of just like, you know, it was such a pronounced difference in, in um, what you get from one player to another Obviously, that's, you know, that's a tough one for for Ben. Like, he's put in a tough spot there. But I did think that Ryan Spaulding was um, a more valuable um, or just uh, sort of more viable player at that position when he came on in the second half. And I actually felt that even when they went down a man, they kind of played their best uh, um, and created their best and obviously scored the goal and then, you know, potentially, well, almost another goal. Um after they were down a player. So it was, that was interesting to me. And I think that came about as a result of, you know, both like emotional factors of like, we've been scored on and we need to respond, but also just they made subs and those subs, I think had a positive impact on the game. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's disappointing that it kind of took that red card for the Revs team to to come to life. And I, some of that, it certainly is the substitutions. I think they did play a lot better after the substitutions. And maybe those substitutions should have come a bit sooner. We've got a lot of questions about that. So we'll talk about that. I think probably should have. Um, we'll get into that more. But no, it did, it did seem like after the red card, they played better down a man for the most part. And, you know, even the, the second goal they conceded, was unfortunate it was a, it was a 
bad turnover. Petrovic gave it to Polster in a tough spot, and Polster turned it over. I don't really blame Polster so much for that. It was kind of a no-win situation, but Petrovic shouldn't have, shouldn't have put the ball there in that situation, um, and you know that that really cost the Revs. And then, you know, the Revolution still managed to fight back and looked like they scored an equalizer. And once again, VAR came back to haunt the Revs. Another thing we'll have a lot of questions about. So maybe with that note, <laughs> we'll we'll jump into listener questions because there are a ton of them today. Always more questions after a loss, which I guess is not surprising. <laughs> Uh, quickly before I, I do jump into listener questions, I want to mention the sponsor of this podcast, Galaco Kits. Galaco Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GalacoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP at checkout. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your orders at Galaco Kits. So first question from Ava J on Twitter. It says, should we be concerned? I mean, we were really only missing Carlos Hill, Noel Buck, Dewan Jones, but still couldn't beat a team that was in 11th place in the standings. Should mention they were also missing Dylan Burrow, Henry Kessler. Um, but at this point, those guys are long-term injuries, and you kind of have to move past that and find a way to win without them. So the, the short-term injury guys, well, hopefully short-term injury guys, uh, Carlos Hill, who was out suspended for yellow card accumulation, Noel Buck, and Dewan Jones, who's with the U.S., uh, should the Reds be concerned? given those absences that they couldn't beat the 11th place team in the standings. I mean, you know, I think they're, if you're not a little bit concerned all the time, you know, I forget who it was. It might've been the former NBA commissioner. This is a random quote, but just like he said, his, his management style was characterized by worrying all the time. And that's how he got things right eventually. And I mean, honestly, if you're in MLS, I think that kind of is how you operate. You're just, you're, you're characterized by worrying all the time because like every one of these games, I mean, even two, 2021 when they set the record for points in a season how many of those wins were one goal wins you know I mean I think they had set I don't know if they set a record for that in that season too but it was like a number of those I mean every single season especially against a team like Red Bulls where they're just gonna make the game choppy with their style they're gonna press you it's gonna be you know fettered and you know broken up and kind of I don't want to say fluky but you know it does open up the possibility for you know a, a bounce here a bounce there to change the game so I don't think you're ever going to get to a point where you're, you know, convincingly beating these teams all the time. Like, you know, some like European leagues, maybe where that's more prevalent, where you have decidedly upper half and lower half teams, you know, on any given game, a lot of times, like, you know, these teams can get a result against each other. I wouldn't say um, they should be worried, but it is just a sort of concern, as we were saying, especially like if you are facing a scenario at any point in the future where Carlos isn't in the team, you know, how are you going to win? And also that, to a lesser extent, as we've seen, has been true with a player like Dylan Barrero being out for the season. Okay, like what's your what's your next you know option there? And you know then we've seen that in other positions as well with Kessler being out and Dewan being with the U.S. national team. So yeah, I mean my concern is just uh, the longer term. Like how are you? What are your you know hypothetical answers to some of these questions that you will probably face and have already faced and will probably you know will continue to face in terms of players being out and how you're going to fill those gaps, but you know, as a one-off result, I don't think it's concerning in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if, if Carlos Hill is out, there's always a lot of concern because the Revs are so reliant on him. He's such an important part of this team. And I've talked about it before. That's one player you can't replace. You know, and, and when he's out, everybody else needs to step up and play better and find a way to win without Carlos and find a way to win that's different. Um, than how they win when Carles is out there. And they didn't show that in this game that they can do that. So if Carles is out long-term, then there's stuff from this game that, you know, and, and again, he's he's not injured. He's out suspended. So there's there's no reason he shouldn't be back next game. And maybe maybe a game off will long-term do him good to get a little bit of rest. Um, but Especially you know, with if, a midweek game. 
Right, especially with the midweek game coming up on Wednesday, and now that he's going to the All-Star game, which he should be going to the All-Star game, but at the same time, it would probably be better for the Revs if he wasn't to get that rest, <laughs> which, which yeah. is another story. Uh, but no, I mean, you, you should be concerned if the Revolution miss Carles Hill that they're going to be in for a rough time. I think, especially with Dylan Barrero out too, there's a lack of creativity and offense when, when Carles Hill is out. So yeah, that's that's definitely a concern, but I wouldn't be concerned you know, from this game, you know, accepting the fact that, you know, if Carlos is out there, I was in trouble, which I think we would have probably said before this game, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, but there's there's disappointing aspects to it too. We shouldn't just write it off. I mean, there were, there were mistakes. You know, I think the the fullback depth we've talked about before isn't good enough, and that was on display in this game. So, you know, if Dewan Jones gets sold to Europe, which I, I don't think is going to happen this year, but if it did, you know that the Revs would be in a tough spot there. I don't, I don't think that's, you know, they have good enough options at left back. I, I too agree that I think Ryan Spaulding looked better when he came on than, than Ben Sweat, although he hasn't been, you know, he hasn't blown us away in his appearances so far for the Revolution. But he also was, I think, uh, you know, we mentioned Ben Sweat getting beat on a header for a goal. I think that happened to Ryan Spaulding. I want to say last week it, it um, did, and it was, and that was one where the guy, just, and you know, people blamed his height, but it wasn't the height. It was the guy just ran around him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there, yeah, I don't, I don't think they have a lot of great answers there. Uh, I mean, we saw that when Brandon Bai was out, they literally moved Dewan over to right back and then tried to switch the formation around to play, um, you know, Ima Boateng over as a wing back. And so it's like, if they're getting that creative to try to fill in injury, you know, one injury, that's, that's not a, a great sign for your depth, I guess. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's been an area of need all season, and that again, this is this is a game that just raised that concern one, one more time. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's easy to write off this game in some sense because Carlos wasn't out there, but there are some underlying concerns that you know popped up from this that many of which we knew before the game, uh, but were on display. Um, Matt Clayman on Twitter says, did not expect a top-notch performance without Carlos Hill and Dewan Jones, but the Revs' inability to control possession throughout the game was pretty glaring. Does solely having Carlos back in the midfield fix this, or is there more of a communication chemistry issue on the team? Um, I mean, listen, you cannot underestimate, especially on, a, on a, I think, a Bruce Arena team where he really orients a lot of the team around you know, the star players in the team. And I don't know if he would ever say that specifically, but that kind of just is the nature of, uh, you know, like an MLS team under Bruce from what I've observed, basically. I mean, you go back to his Galaxy teams, even his DC United teams. And certainly with this Revs team, I mean, you know, like his first move was bringing in Gustavo, who's had such a, you know, notable impact, um, you know, when he's on the field, I guess. And Carlos, um, yeah, he really is the straw that stirs the drink for them in a lot of ways. And he just... You know, he, he he obviously creates goals and assists. And I wrote this like in uh, in the takeaways last night. But just I think it, what he really brings to them on such a lowercase level is just all those little subtle moments in possession where it's in the buildup or it's just, you know, as providing an outlet for uh, when they recover possession, which was definitely something they were missing last night. They had no outlet. And, uh, you know, Bo was trying to be that guy at different points, but he wasn't able to connect very well with Bobby Wood, um, who I didn't think had, you know, the best of games. Um, and obviously, you know, Esmir was trying to be that guy, but I think with Hill, they just, it's sort of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit in terms of why he has so many touches is because they just believe that he'll just like, he'll just control the ball, even if wherever they get it to him. So they just, well, I don't want to say force passes to him, but they will be more aggressive getting him the ball, obviously, and will look to get him the ball. And so it just it changes everything, um, even in just on a lower, you know, you know, 
pass to pass level during the game, let alone, you know, the goals or the assists. Um, yeah, I think, you know, putting him back in goes a long way. But also, as we talked about, I mean, they were missing Noel Buck and Dewan Jones, players who are also extremely important to them in possession, especially and and creating things and, um, you know, keeping the ball and just, you know, keeping their engine kind of going uh, in a way that, we, you know, it was just totally kind of sputtering for a lot of last night. Yeah, when Carles is back, they they play completely different, and everyone else on the team plays completely different. Again, there was, the guys needed to step up without him, and you saw how that worked, and it wasn't well. Matt Polster, I didn't think had a good game. You know, he had sixty nine percent passing accuracy, which really isn't good enough. But you know, if Carles heals in there and and he's the outlet for him to pass to, that probably goes up a little bit. That that changes that a bit. You know, Ejmir. He had some flashes in this game. There were a couple moments. I think he had the nice pass. Like, was it to, to Bo or, where you kind of sprung yep. him through with a through pass? You know, he had, he had some nice moments. He had the chance to score um, that he skied over the net. But, he, you know, he got himself into a good position, which, you know, gets some credit for that. But he's no Carlos Heel. He didn't have the same impact. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think he particularly had a good game. I think it was more there were a couple flashes that said, okay, this is what the player he could be. Um, yeah. But... You know, he's not the outlet that Carlos Heel is, but when you have a guy like Matt Polster passing at 69%, you have Latif Blessing not playing really well. You have Bobby Wood, who had an off game. Uh, Bobby Wood had eight unsuccessful touches in this game. I don't recall many times seeing a number that high for, for a player when I'm looking at that stat. Matt Polster had three, which is, is pretty high by itself, but Bobby Wood had eight. So this was a bad game for Bobby Wood, as you said. He also got that yellow card early that you know wasn't ideal. Um and that also, I think, affected his uh, pressing ability, which is yes. like a very plus attribute of his this year, I felt. But once you get, obviously, yellow, it it just, you know, you can't be as aggressive after that. And so a lot of his ability out of possession is kind of not negated, but limited a little bit. Yeah, it is. I think that's a great point because he's such an effort guy and a hustle guy. And not that that not to you know denigrate what else he does in the field, but that's a big part of his game and a big part of why he's so successful. And when you do have a yellow card, you can't be as physical. And otherwise, you risk getting a red card like the Chief Blessing. But <laughs> well, that was a straight red. But anyways, um, I, yeah. So in conclusion, I think Carlos Hill being back fixes most of the Revolution's problems. But there are, you know, some few, a few other things here that, you know, are worrying. Again, Polster's performance, Blessing's performance, the rest of the midfield's performance. And missing Noel Buck also really hurts the team because he's been so good for the Revolution this year. Um, Mike Kennedy on Twitter asked a question that I also had. And he said, should Bruce Arena have played Gustavo Bo at the 10 rather than Ejmir? And thinking that through, that would have allowed them to get Giacomo, Giacomo Roni out in the lineup as well. So you could have had you know, your two DPs in the field instead of Esmir and then Bo up top. What, what do you think of, of kind of that thought? Because you've seen him do that before. Yeah, I, you know, and um, I, you know, I mentioned 2020 earlier, and that was a period of time when they had to play without Carles uh, when he was injured. And they tried in that time, I remember, to kind of put Bo in that role. And he, I think, didn't really like it at all. And I don't know, he obviously was not as effective, but he was still able to, you know, do some things for them. I think, I don't know, maybe that's a reflection of how they feel about Bo's fitness or not risking him at this point, just in terms of he inevitably would be doing more running in that role and just sort of more sort of back and forth and working for the team, which someone like Esmir obviously has no problem doing, but obviously doesn't have the same upside. I think ideally, yeah, like I would, I would love to see that, um, you know, Bo in that role. I mean, you know, again, assuming Carlos is out, which, uh, hopefully for the Rev's sake, he will not be for the rest of the season. But, it, you know, in that scenario, yeah, I would love to see Bo in that role. And then it would allow you to get um, Rioni on the field with Bobby Wood. And 
I don't know if have we ever actually seen that alignment before. I would be very curious to see that though, if if nothing else. Yeah, I, I would too. And just to get your two DPs on the field, I think it would make a lot of sense. And I, I agree, it's not his, it's not Bo's ideal position, but we've seen him be effective enough from there. And you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but just from what we've seen from from Ejmir, I think there was more potential at this point in time of seeing that kind of trio up front instead. Uh, but you know, I, I, I'm I was surprised. I, I actually expected that to be what we saw, so I was a little bit surprised that this is what Bruce did. Uh, again, it's in some sense, it's nice to see Bruce have faith in, in the young players uh, because historically it doesn't seem like he really has. So it's nice to see him have that this year, even when there are other are other options, but. In this case, I would I would have liked to have seen Bo at the ten and give Rioni a chance up top. Um, but also on hindsight, Bobby Wood had such a poor game that maybe you'd start Rioni over him. So if 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 you're looking at that, but again, the way Bobby Wood's been playing, you can't really do that. I I did think about that in terms of Rioni. Um, just you know, I and I don't know if we'll get into this also, but just yeah, the the. the possibility of him getting a start not necessarily over bobby wood i mean you could rotate out gustavo if he needs a game especially in this you know pair of midweek or this midweek um game that they have coming up with another game on the weekend um but i you know i was thinking about this especially when rioni came in i felt that his movement was actually very good and his ability to just keep the ball in a way that bobby wood was at least last uh or at least you know on saturday was was struggling to do i i felt that you know, he made a case uh, more so than maybe he has in in other weeks. He he did minus the unfortunate offside at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is true. That's a good. That's a very good point. But yes, minus that in actual playing um, on the field when you know the ball was live, or, or I guess you know when he wasn't, I guess uh, doing that particular thing. Um, I, I felt that he was positive. Yeah, yeah, and I think we, I would imagine we probably see him get a start on Wednesday just for rotation purposes. That would make sense to me, but who knows? Um, Jose Franchino Dino on Twitter says the Revs fan base and journalists are very quick to say the kids are all right. And for the most part, I agree, but it's Revs two slash loan time for Ejmir. I don't want to see him again this year. I'm not ruling out a successful career. And I think it's unfair for him to play as a winger slash right mid when he's a center attacking mid, but he's shown close to nothing this year. His play tonight was on the level of a bad Justin Renex or Josie game. Uh, thoughts on that. Is that a bit harsh? I think that's definitely harsh. I mean, look, first of all, I think people, you know, the, this, the Revs Academy is such a still kind of new thing in a sense of like producing, especially like, you know, teenager uh, age players, I guess, in terms of, you know, people just need to realize there is even between like a college player who's just drafted and an academy player who is still, a, you know, a teenager, there's such a difference in terms of they're just not even like physically fully grown yet. So, I mean, Yes, maybe in a sense you could be like, okay, for that reason, like you don't want these uh, players in your team, you know, in big minutes. And I get that argument. But I also remember, I mean, I don't know, like going back to maybe like when Tejan was here, not to compare Esmir with Tejan specifically, but just to the point that Bruce has, since he's been in New England, had an ability to have some patience and play guys even when they don't necessarily seem to warrant it. I remember uh, Tejan getting minutes when, you know, in in, uh, 2019. And just kind of questioning, you know, necessarily why is he starting or why is he continuing to play him when, you know, I see he has potential, but he hasn't really broken through and scored a lot yet. But then that changed. And obviously uh, then, you know, 2020 and 2021, he really um, uh, came on. So, you know, I think like I I respect that you need to have patience with 
young players and they need to get acclimated and they need to have chances to fail uh, potentially as well. I understand though uh, the question in, uh, in the point of that in terms of, um, yeah, at some point you're trying to win now. And so oh, you have to do what's best for the team now. And that might not include playing them, but that is also, I mean, you know, it's not like his first choice was to play Esmir. I mean, first of all, Obviously, Carlos was out. But on top of that, you know, we haven't heard from Nacho Hill or Tommy McNamara at all this year. And those are two players who, in normal circumstances, you know, would potentially be either in that role or sort of adjacent to that role. Obviously, Noel Buck being out, he would have been another potential. We've seen him play there this year as well. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to go around it. I think that is a little harsh on Esmir. I understand the criticism, but um, he was, you know... You think about his best quality as a player is in possession or with the ball. And just by definition, the Revs were not going to have the ball for most of the game on that night. So just by definition, you're taking his best quality and relegating it to a minority of the game. So he was never going to uh, have a, a huge impact. He could have obviously played better, but um, I think it's just you know, sort of, you know, testament to the point that like they're missing a lot of guys. And so players like that are, are going to get time right now. So I don't think that's, you know, they're, their ideal thing but it just kind of is the reality at the moment yeah I, I agree and i think you made the point well and mentioned earlier too that it was a very tough situation he was put into with carly's heel out and you, you can't you can't replace carly's heel and i don't think that's what was asked of him but there was a lot of pressure on him to be creative in the offensive third and to get to get stuff going and I, it wasn't a good performance but i wouldn't write him off based on this performance i i wouldn't be excited to see him start again soon, but I think he needs to stay with the first team. He needs to get minutes when there's opportunities there. You know, even if those are minutes when the Revolution are, are have a comfortable lead and you can get him out there to get experience, I do think he has a bright future. I do think we saw flashes of it in this game. I just don't think he's ready to be a starter on this Revolution team, especially in the level of what was needed with Carlos heel out. So it, it was a bad game. I don't think he's you know been fantastic this season, but I think he's shown enough flashes where there's enough potential there where the revolution should continue to find ways to get him minutes with the first team. But hopefully when guys are healthy, it's not a starting role. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think the same is true with uh, Jack Penny too, as well. I think he's another player of yes. um, great potential who is not quite, you know, d looks a little bit off the pace. I go, I guess would be the way to describe it in terms of being out there against, you know, in the senior team against, you know, seasoned professionals, and they're just maybe not quite there yet. Whereas Noel Buck, uh, to a tremendous level, I mean, it really um, accentuates how impressive he is in a way that he is uh, able to be out there and, and make such a difference. But uh, yeah, you, you have to be patient with them. And yeah, and then hopefully, you know, your veteran players come back and are able to fill in some of these minutes that you're having to put, you know, academy players in at the moment. But and and I think to be fair, I think I felt sort of similar about what we saw from Noel Buck last year when he was on the field to what we're seeing from Esmer this year, and he turned it around completely this year when kind of took his game to a complete another level and fits in so much more comfortably. But I thought he didn't you know he he didn't look like he was ready to start last year and looked like he needed a lot more polish. So you know it's it's way too soon to write off any of these guys, and I think it's way too soon to relegate Esmer for this season to to Revs too. Although again, when everyone's healthy, I don't I don't think you want him to be starting. <laughs> um, I, I agree. Og on Twitter says with uh, Carly's heel absence here and what they've missed, uh, marble or bronze for a statue. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, at some point he really does. You know, it, it does speak to a serious thing that at some point 
Uh, I don't know how long his time with the reps will be, but uh, he obviously, whether it's a statue or whatever, I don't know, whatever they would do, but just like if they ever sort of, you know, like a sort of equivalent to the Patriots hall of fame and whatnot, I think, you know, I mean, they, uh, you know, he, he goes in it, obviously he's just, uh, um, you know, uh, not just for the reps, but across MLS, just clearly one of the difference makers in the league. And, and, uh, again, you know, just his absence, you, you see that, um, underlined pretty well. And we got unsurprisingly a couple of questions about Latif blessing, uh, Dewan Jones, us men's national team season on Twitter says, what the heck happened to Latif blessing before he went to Ghana? He was arguably our best midfielder, but since returning from Ghana, he has looked like T-Mac, which with a nice smile, is this just poor form or should we be generally concerned before I go to the next question? I'm going to say that's really harsh because Tommy McNamara, I think has been, well, last year was a very effective player for the revolution. And I would rather see Tommy McNamara in the way he was playing last year for the revs than what Latif blessings done this year. So I think that's very harsh in Tommy McNamara, uh, uh, Rob Chevalier on, discord says thoughts on blessings here so far more good than bad 50 50 or more bad than good so uh, is this poor form or should we be generally concerned and overall has it been more bad than good more good than bad what do you think of latif blessing so far i think it's i mean you know i I hate to be harsh i think it's especially the last couple games it's been more bad than good obviously you know the red card that is quite bad you know I, i know that people including bruce arena and brandon by would quibble with the the red card assessment. Um, and I, you know, yeah, maybe if they, the ref could have given him a yellow and then they could review it for an upgrade on VAR or whatever the, the procedure might've been there, whatever, but you know, it was a studs up challenge and he did make contact. So, I mean, I can understand, you know, that being a red card, obviously. So that's yeah, not, you know, not, not the ball he was looking to make contact with. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think he, he did complete, I think it was over 80% of his passes. So he didn't like, you know, he wasn't losing the ball, um, which he has done in other games at different points. Yes. Um, and so, you know, th- that, you know, I want to be fair to him, you know, like the, you know, he didn't, it wasn't a total disaster and he was uh, someone who you want in a game like that, where you're not going to have the ball a lot. He's someone who is full of energy and can hustle. There were a couple of times where he almost made tackles and it was just like, he wasn't quite able to either regain possession or poke the ball away fully. Um, but you'd like to see that energy and you would like to see, you know, more of that. I know Bruce said something earlier in the year that was, was like, he brings something that we didn't have last year. And I, I agree with that in a sense of like, you know, ball pressure in the midfield. You, you want someone who can just be buzzing around like that. But I think it, he seemed like he was forced into a role sort of alongside Polster that is not necessarily congruent with his best attributes in terms of being able to run and press and, you know, just harass the other team. He was having to sort of sit in a zone. And I don't think that's Latif in his best uh, deployment, but you know, it was what they had to do. They were out of possession for a lot of the games. So they had to do that and he has to be able to adapt to that role. So yeah, I don't think he's, it hasn't been his best run. Uh, I'll be curious to see what, you know, the, the impact of Ian Harks is and if he maybe gets some of those minutes going forward or, or again, if Tommy McNamara or Moss, CL or Nacho Hill or any of these other players are able to come back this year um, and get some minutes at some point, because theoretically there is a lot of depth there when those guys are all healthy, but it's just none of them are. Um, and we're obviously no buck when he comes back. Um, so blessing, you know, I, he's not a penciled in starter, but I think he could still have a very important role on the team. And I think, you know, his form could turn around. He's, he's, I still maintain that he's a, he can be an effective player for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's been more bad than good so far this season, unfortunately, for him. I, I am generally concerned at this point 
I think you know, it has been a very long stretch of bad form, and when it goes this long, I think it goes to the point where you start to need to be a little bit concerned. Um, I think he could use a spell maybe on the bench. Right now, they don't have the healthy bodies to afford to do that. But I think when everyone's healthy right now, the Revs are better off with Noel Buck next to Matt Polster than Latif Blessing. And you mentioned that you know maybe that's not Latif Blessing's best role. I, I agree with you on that. But what is his best role in this Revolution formation or this Revolution lineup? I'm not sure what the answer is to that anymore. Because when originally when the Revs signed him, I was thinking they might find a way to do you know four four two diamond, and then him mm-hmm. as kind of an eight on one of the sides of the diamond. That would seem to suit his skill set pretty well. But that's yeah. not really how they're playing or how they ended up playing when everyone's healthy. Um, so I, I don't. I, I, do you have a thought on, on if you were the Revs, what what would be the ideal position for him? Because I'm not sure what the answer is to that anymore. I, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, and that I'm not certain of that either. I I totally agree with the the 442 diamond being his I would say best formation or just you know if you were playing a 433 and he's one of those uh shuttling sort of center midfielders with Polster as a holding midfielder potentially but you know we don't really see the revs play exactly that way um well then what is, we definitely Carlos Hill doesn't really have an ideal role if you play that way either right that's I mean you could do that when he's out right. but if, if he's healthy I don't know that he really fits into that <laughs> Right. So they, so that's like, that's just, obviously that will be antithetical to anything Bruce would ever do in terms of, you know, he wants to cater to his best players. Understandably. So that's an effective strategy. And uh, you know, when Carlos is in, obviously you want to do everything you can to make him comfortable on the field. And so, yeah, I don't think um, it doesn't kind of seem like he fits well with a player like Carlos. I'm a blessing um, in terms of, you know, I was hoping that maybe they would be able to connect more and have a little more of a dynamic uh, you know, passing relationship in the midfield. Yes. And I haven't really seen that. And, um, uh, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what his best role is and he kind of will need to acclimate a little more here if he wants to, you know, keep a consistent role in the, in the starting 11, I'd say. Yeah. And, and I agree with all that. Um, and I, I think maybe his best role is to be a, a super sub off the bench to, you know, add, because he, he can run all over the pitch. And I think to have, bring him on in certain situations would be really good for the revs. I, when they made the trade for him at the beginning or in the off season, I thought he would be a much better fit than he has been. And I still think he can be a good player for the revs, but I, I no longer think the revs best 11 includes him as a starter when everyone's healthy. And again, it's good to have depth pieces. The revs need more depth than well right now when everyone's injured, they, they need depth in central midfield. And I think he can be a guy that can be effective for the revolution in that role. But I kind of when healthy, I, I, I no longer see him as a regular starter. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what his best role is. I think um, Noel Buck has definitely, you know, I mean, and when healthy, obviously, and when everyone's healthy and you've your best 11, as you were kind of talking about, I think Noel Buck has supplanted him this year. And that's yes. obviously been very surprising and a bonus for them in terms of Noel Buck's development. But in terms of blessing, yeah, he's kind of seemingly regressed in, in people's views in that way. I still think, you know, you look at some of the additions Bruce made in the offseason with Romney, with Blessing, and with Bobby Wood. I think it, at the beginning of the year, I would have you know, I, I probably would have, I thought that Romney was a good call and I was, I thought that Bobby Wood had a chance to have some upside, maybe surprise some people who were all obviously cynical about another veteran striker being added after Josie was added and that didn't go well. But with Blessing, I felt he would have been, he was going to have the most impact and be the best player. So yes, I, I also have been uh, a little bit disappointed with his impacts uh, or sort of lack thereof um, this year. But um 
yeah, I, I still think like, you know, it's a long season. He could definitely come back into form and that would be a huge, uh, no pun intended. That would be a blessing for them if he could do that just because, um, he is such a, uh, interesting player from a sense of he's a central midfielder who's known for like, you know, almost behaving like, uh, with the energy of like a winger. So that's always been a very intriguing tactical piece, uh, and, and he could still fit in somewhere and and really have an impact. But yeah, right now it's it's been kind of been kind of ugly. Yeah. All right. Time for the VAR questions. <laughs> uh, Traeger on Twitter says, "Do we now have the record for goals overturned for a player other than the goal scorer being called offsides?" Which I think has happened three times now this season for the Revs. Uh, are we in the lead for goals overturned for offsides created by anyone this season? Feels like there's been at least half a dozen. Uh, Emily M on Discord says it's third time this season we've lost a game deciding goal after VAR says that an offside player was obstructing the keeper. What do you make of this? A problem with the VAR system? Bad coaching in those situations? Just terrible luck? Something else? Well, for the first part, um, I don't I don't know if this is a record, but it sure feels like it <laughs> for how many times it's happened to the Revolution. I I don't recall seeing this very often at all. So the fact that it's happened to the Revs three times is it seems it seems like a lot. Um, but what do you make of this? Is it is it a problem with the VAR? Is it bad coaching? Terrible luck? Something else? I guess first of all, do you think it was the right call? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was hoping you actually wouldn't ask me that to be honest, because <laughs> I kind of I like. I mean, I've seen a lot of, and this is the thing. I feel like um, uh, the the official like you know MLS rules they sh- they should do a better job of making that like PDF public or whatever all the time because I feel like we have to tr- track this down every time this happens and it always takes me a second. But my take on it was that. Um, they just made that call like pretty quickly after the VAR review. And it didn't really seem like anything was super obvious about that. Um, I understand looking at the replay, it really does, you know, like you could, you know, you could look at that and be like, all right, Vrioni clearly in an offside position and he runs across the goal. So, I mean, he runs across the zone where that shot is coming across, but I don't know. You look at, uh, you know, the, the goalkeeper's vantage point on that replay. And he doesn't really, it's not like he's like moving his head around to like crane, you know, his head to like keep seeing the ball. It kind of looks like he just sees it pretty much all the way right. in and then just dives and isn't able to get it. Obviously on the replay, it looks like he dives a little late. So maybe he was screened, but also on a slow motion replay, everything seems to happen, you know, like belatedly in terms of reaction time. So I don't, I, I it's, it's tough. I think, um, you know, I, I haven't looked at all the umpteenth, uh, you know, wording of the rule and whatnot, but I think my main takeaway is just, um, the officiating has not been good in a sense that just on the, you know, in the moment, they just made that call way too quickly for such a huge decision. Um, you know, I, that's the part that I guess I had a problem with. Yeah, I, I'm kind of 50 50 on whether it was actually the right call because i I could see i could see it from both both sides i if you you know taking it in the referee's vantage point or giving them the benefit of the doubt i i agree with you you do see rioni when you're looking at the angle from behind the goal he does run kind of towards the you know six yard box and a path that could be seen to be blocking the view of the shot but on the flip side the goalkeeper didn't complain you didn't see you know, I, I don't, I don't, I think he saw the shot based on his dive. He, I think he probably saves it too if it wasn't deflected. It was also deflected by a defender. And I'm, right. not, I'm not sure that he doesn't save that if it wasn't deflected. So uh, it, it was a very, very harsh call against the Revolution. I would like to see those type of things not called. And I, you know, we heard earlier in the season one of those ones that was called against the Revs where they came out and said, you know, pro referees 
came out and told Bruiser. I forget, I forget how it came out, but they basically said they would have preferred it not to have been called. Um, this yeah. kind of feels like one of those to me where, you know, it's not necessarily the wrong call, but I, I would have liked to have seen it not be called in that situation. It, it's, And I also agree with you. It was made, it was made very quickly, and it was in no way clear and obvious to me. So that's yeah. very frustrating. In some sense, you know, I do think bad luck plays a role in it. The Revs do seem to have bad luck with this this year. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. It happened too fast. I don't think it's bad coaching. I think it was fluky that Roni happened to make that you know run. Um, I, Gustavo Bo's case, I do think Gustavo Bo was offside more often than I'd like frequently. Um, not that it was a problem in this game, but just just as a general comment. Yeah, right. Um, Evergreen point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have we haven't seen enough of Rioni to even make that comment about him yet. Uh, but no, I it's bad luck, and also I I don't love the way VAR was done in, in any of these situations. Yeah, um, I I don't understand how you could. I don't. The, I know there was the part of that question was like blame coaching. I know that's like maybe a general default, maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, around around here. But that's I I don't understand how you could blame coaching on that. That was just a it was just a bang bang play, and uh, then they made a bang bang call on in reaction to that. I was devastated mostly though for Andrew Farrell, who I mean think about that. That would have been I mean just the joy on his face after scoring. Uh, or supposedly scoring, I just felt terrible for him uh, that that then got taken away by uh, VAR. What for, you know for the third time this season, uh, you know in the context of what's happened to them this year, that was particularly devastating. I felt. Yeah, and and Porter on Discord asked for thoughts on Farrell's celebration. That was that was fun to watch and exciting to see him. You know, with the the pure joy in his face, it's disappointing that it didn't didn't count. That was such such a big goal for him and the team. We do have a question on Petrovic. Derek Terrell on Twitter says, I think Petrovic is a top-tier shot stopper. That said, I feel there were only two or three instances throughout the game that his distribution did not result in a possession change. Thoughts on his distribution? Uh, this, I think this was a particularly bad game for his distribution. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, 53%, so just uh, a little bit above Ben Sweat, um, which I'm <laughs> sorry to keep dunking on Ben Sweat. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, that – well, and it's not just the passing percentage either. It's like the the you know the Polster one was an accurate pass, but right. it wasn't well, sure. a good pass. That's a good point. Yeah, it's the sort of decision making, like if we're talking like quarterbacks or something. Um, but I think, yeah, you know he uh, he has gotten a lot of rightful praise for just being an exceptional, not just shot stopper, but just you know you look at uh, on corner kicks or whatnot. I mean, he's six four. Like you never worry about him. Uh, making the right choice there most of the time um, in, uh, you know, like his decision-making by and large, I, I think is good. I think that was just a very conspicuous mistake or, or bad decision with that attempted, you know, pass to pollster, because I think as Taylor Tolman pointed out on the broadcast, like you didn't need to do that anyway. Like, like why were you rushing to get through that? Like you should, you know, take your time there. But I think also he was kind of impatient or maybe just um, uh, frustrated because you know, he was, you know, they were going kind of route one for a lot of that game. He was, you know, opting to on a lot of those goal kicks, just nope, push out and we're not going to go short. I'll just, you know, kind of hoof it long. And those were, you know, very low success rates because they don't really have, I mean, when Vrioni is not in the game, uh, it doesn't really seem like they have that consistent of an aerial threat or someone, you know, like a target man to kind of play to in that circumstance. So, yeah, I mean, his decision-making could improve. I mean, he's still a young player, um, so that's kind of always a thing. But that's also just like a thing with goalies in general. I think people sometimes have a, a higher 
uh, I don't know, sort of perception of what goalies do. Like you look at like the highest levels in the world and goalies make, you know, mistakes, you know, with their distribution or like with their passing, it still happens. It doesn't happen a lot. And I don't think this happens a lot with Petrovic, but it is a thing. And I'm sure, you know, he's going to go back and look at that and, uh, um, you know, they're going to, they're going to learn from that. Yeah. And I think that was a knock on Turner early in his career too. And then he turned that around to make that be a, a plus of his game. So, you know, I, I, I think Petrovic can, can do that too. And I do think this was a particularly egregious game for that. I don't think, it, I don't think he's usually this bad at distribution. I don't think it's a, necessarily a strength of his, but I don't think he's usually this bad. Um, so I wouldn't freak out about it, uh, but it is something he can improve on and I'm sure he will improve on. And you mentioned the long balls. There were a lot of them. And on those, the passing was a lot worse. It was five for 19, 26%. So you're right. They, they tried a lot of kind of route one long balls and it didn't have much success with that either. Um, so I, I guess I can get your point that maybe there's some frustration there too in that play. Uh, we, we talked about some individual performances. Eddie on Twitter uh, calls out specifically some of the guys we call that. He says embarrassing performances, especially by Wood, Esmere, Sweat, and Blessing. We talked about all those guys. First two of them were incredibly lazy, not tracking back or pressing. Uh, sweat lost and blessing was obvious for the, the red card, but no other league in the world calls that goals off. Why does it seem the league has it out for us? Does the league have it out for the res? What do you think? <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> no, but you know, it's, it's a fun narrative to, you know, to trot out every once in a while, obviously, especially in moments like this, when it does kind of seem that way, because, you know, they, this is, as Bruce pointed out, this is the third time that's happened this year. And, uh, and just in the context, I mean, Yes, that would have been a, an amazing goal for Farrell, but it just it would have been a point. It would have been an away point. It would have, you know, kept this unbeaten run going and it would have just been one more sort of, you know, emotional swing for them in a positive way to after all that, um, you know, without Carlos, um, which down you know man. was uh, erroneous and and down a down a guy. Yeah, exactly. You would have come back and rescued a point. That would have been a huge uh lift going into a busy week for them. And instead, it was chalked off and now you have this this loss. So yeah, I mean, it's fun to think that the league is out to get you, but I obviously I guarantee you that's not the case. Uh, it's just more, yeah, it's just, you know, like that's just tough circumstance to have to deal with yet again this year. Uh, we got some, some Bruce bashing. <laughs> we got three, three Bruce bashing questions. Playing the hits <laughs> uh, Tim on Twitter, it says the revs were atrocious top to bottom. Was there even a game plan that was on the coach? hundred percent. Macho on Discord says, what the heck is wrong with Bruce Arena? He keeps making the stupidest decisions and waiting until the worst scenarios to make changes. Uh, he specifically points out that he waited until it was too late to make changes um, when Latif was sent off. That he actually, I, I didn't see this, but he said he actually sent the subs back to the bench rather than bringing them on at that point and then waited until the 68th minute. Uh, he he complains about starting Latif and Wood. I, I don't think you can complain about starting Bobby Wood the way he's been playing. <laughs> Disagree with that one. Uh, he complains about bad tactical decisions, and then he complains about playing Esmir and Carlos's role instead of Bo. Uh, and, and then Jose Franchino Dino says, most importantly, this result falls squarely on Bruce. After 25 minutes, it was clear as day that the formation slash those players weren't going to work to make zero subs at halftime, try out a variation of the 4-4-2 and stick with it for another 15 plus minutes is inexcusable. Aside from injuries, Bruce has been at the center of most of the Revs' poor performances this year. I know it sounds crazy, but I would like the move. I would like to make the jump now. I would like to make the jump now on the start discussions on moving on from Bruce panic button. All right. This, these are some pretty harsh and <laughs> maybe too reactionary comments based on where the Revs are in the standings and how things have been going. Um, I don't know where, where we want to take this one. Was was this game on Bruce? And do you agree that he should have made some subs at halftime and you know, made some poor lineup decisions? 
I, you know, part of me did kind of expect him to make a change at halftime uh, just because they were even more than the final stats showed pretty thoroughly dominated in the first half. I think like the possession was even more skewed towards New York in that first half. Cause again, it's sort of weirdly, they played their best uh, in the final period of the game when they were down a player. Um, but, and that was after Bruce made some changes, albeit belatedly, but they were, those were good changes. I mean, as we said, like Spalding uh, came on, I thought played uh, much better than Ben Sweat had on that side. Um, and, you know, they, they were able to just, you know, find a way back into the game. But yeah, I mean, obviously the plan didn't really work. I, <laughs> I tried to ask Bruce about this last night, but I kind of just like stumbled through my question. Cause I always try to like distill it down to like under 10 words basically with Bruce. Cause a lot of times, especially after a loss, he is going to, especially on an away game when it's like, we're just on a zoom, he'll just kind of jump in on your question. So I try to really distill it down, but I kind of just forced out like, so you basically like, what was it like without Carlos out there? And he was just like, he just laughed and, you know, didn't really, but I kind of meant to ask him, like, what did he think of how his team tried to execute whatever the game plan was? Cause you know, he had said before the game, certainly they're not going to try to, you know, have someone step in and just replace Carlos and just play the same way. Cause he can't do that. So they had, you know, they were clearly aware there was some foresight that they were going to try something else. But I think, you know, what it was, was sit deep, uh, absorb uh, New York's, uh, pressure, you know, play maybe on the counter. Um, that felt like the closest thing to what the first half game plan was. Obviously, it didn't really work. Um, I did think it was kind of interesting because, like, obviously, Red Bulls are used to sort of pressing and doing that themselves. So it was kind of, in a way, you know, maybe clever to cede possession to New York and make them, you know, be the protagonist of the game and then sort of throw their game plan back at them. But they couldn't really do that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I agree that, like, the game plan didn't work, but. Uh, maybe slow the roll a little bit on running Bruce out of town. <laughs> yeah, and just to emphasize your point, in the first half, uh, New York had 58.2% possession, which is more than they had overall for the game, it, it, despite the fact that they played 30 minutes of the second half up a man. Um, they had 79% pass success compared to the Revs, 66% pass success, which, again, is, is worse than the Revs had for the game, again, despite the fact they played most of the second half down a man. Uh, yeah. They outshot the Revs 11-3. to They won 18 out of 28 aerial duels. Five corner kicks to two for the Revs. It was really a dominating first half performance for the Red Bulls. And, you know, with that in mind and with the fact that, you know, the game plan wasn't necessarily working from from what we saw in the first half, uh, it would have been I, – I, I think you can criticize Bruce for not making changes at that point or making some sort of change to change the formation. Uh, again, there's not that much depth on the bench with all the guys that are out right now. And I'm sure he probably didn't want to play Ian Harks more than you know, the minutes he played him, being he just joined the team this week. Um, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not really sure there's that much you could necessarily do. You know, maybe putting Rioni on there, taking Eshmir out, putting Bo back at the ten would have been a smart move at that point, given how the game was playing out and how it wasn't really working. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's very fair to criticize Bruce Arena after this performance and for making subs too late and for adjusting too late and for his you know starting tactical game plan because it didn't work. Um, but I. I would I would slow down of hitting the panic button of time to start moving on for Bruce. I think that's a, a bit too soon soon for that. They, they are still pretty, you know, doing pretty well in the standings. And, uh, you know, obviously, um, uh, yeah, I, th- I think like you look at his overall impact on the club, especially, uh, you know, the things that happened because of Bruce in terms of like, you know, Kurt and Alfo's impact as, you know, sort of a, a result of Bruce being here and all the things that that entails. I think, 
you know, you have to consider it from that perspective. And obviously, even if they weren't doing well in the field, which they kind of have been for a lot of, you know, this season um, or well enough so far. Yeah, it would still be, you know, probably worth keeping them around. <laughs> uh, Porter on Discord, uh, more of a comment, said, deserved more, absolutely not. The team did not show up to play. In generalist terms, the refs almost stole a point from an otherwise atrocious performance. I mostly agree with that. So <laughs> no, real, no real argument there. I think they could feel unlucky with you know, not getting that goal at the end. But from the, the way the game played out, the Red Bulls were the better team and, and deserved three points other than the maybe the controversy on that goal. Um, so no real comment there. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and, and also before I forget, I will also say like that first half, I mean, it was a disaster in a lot of ways and they should have been down, but for uh, Brandon by jumping in on Omer Fernandez when he was in on goal. Uh, and I think it was a, what are the 26th minute and um, you know, saved a goal, uh, you know, like on top of him scoring, I also did want to shout out uh, Brandon Bias. It was the 16th minute. He jumped in and just blocked that Omer Fernandez shot wide for a corner instead of, you know, being like he could have just passed it into the corner of the net. He was in on goal by himself at that point. And then Brandon Bay comes back and scores the tying goal in the second half. He had, he had a, I felt, you know, among players who many of whom did not have a great night, I felt that um, he touched the ball second most times on the team other than Dave Romney. Uh, you know, he was very involved. You know, he didn't have an amazing game from a pass perspective, but he was very impactful in that way, both uh, on, on both sides of the uh, of the field. Yeah, two, two for two on tackles, got a block, three clearances, seven recoveries. Uh, one of the few guys on the Rebs team that can actually leave the game with, with some credit for his performance because overall yeah. there were a lot, of, a lot of bad ones out there. Um, yeah. That's it for questions on the game. We do have questions on the acquisitions the Revs have made or are about to make. Uh, James Downing wants to know thoughts on the Tomas chankley signing i probably botched that name terribly but uh, according to tom bogart on the athletic the winger was signed on loan from racing club of argentina through the end of the season with a purchase clause through 2024 that will make him a dp if triggered i'm guessing you haven't seen him play much other than highlights what, what are your thoughts on this signing do you think it's a good one for the revs does it change things for kind of the outlook on this season um you know uh what i know about uh, Tomas Chankalai, which I think is the pronunciation. For yeah, what you're I've a lot seen, better than me. Thank you. <laughs> um, from uh, uh, just, you know, looking around and, and trying to watch, you know, videos of him when he was at Racing or when he was, he you know, played last season in the Middle East uh, on a loan deal. Um, you know, he definitely can add something, you know, kind of fun. You know, I, I know that's a very technical term. Uh, he might be a fun player. Yeah. And no, I mean, like he'll add a, a quality to them that, I think they've been missing since Dylan Barrero's out, which is what you want from, uh, you know, an addition like that at this point in the season and someone who could maybe kind of fit into that same role. I, I assume that he's a very, or, you know, is a different player, maybe not a very different player, but is a different player from Barrero. And a, I think he's maybe a little better technically, but maybe not quite as fast, you know, in a straight line speed. Um, so, but either way, like I, I saw a YouTube, uh, I found one thing of him when I think he was in Argentina, he scored an Olympico. So that, that was cool. Um, I think, uh, beyond that, I'm not, I don't know a hundred percent, you know, too, too much about him yet, but, uh, from looking up his player card and football manager, you know, there's some plus attributes there. So, uh, again, I know that's super technical scouting report, but, uh, you know, he does seem to be a player of some promise and he's still fairly young. So, you know, that's, there's some optimism that I would have around that, especially if they then, you know, he, he comes in and has a good run and they are able to add him on a, 
on a full-time basis. And I still have no idea what the Rose best formation is. And I think this adds that question even more complicated with, with him coming in. But I, I, looking towards the future, even past the season, you know, I think there's maybe a more defined formation for the Revs in 2024 if they bring him back. Because now all of a sudden they have two, on paper, high-level wingers to, to go out there. And I think at that point you probably play a 4-5-1, right? With you know, Gustavo Bo will be gone. If, if he comes back, Gustavo Bo will presumably be gone. I think that's going to be the case anyways. And then you're left with you know Bobby Wood, Rioni. I don't know if they bring somebody else in. But I think if you have two wingers of the caliber of, of you know him and Barrero – then you're probably going back to playing a 4-5-1 and the formation makes a lot more sense and on paper it looks like you're set up pretty well to, to play that formation. Um, I don't know where that leaves you this season, but I do think that it's good for the Revolution to add another winger and have more options and variety in how they play. I, I, I'm i still not sure how everything looks on paper or what the formation ends up being this year, uh, but I think, you, it, if anything, it makes it clearer kind of what the strategy will be next year if he comes back and, and Bo's gone and, you know, there's a more clear path towards what the revolution should be playing at that point. All, all that, a lot of that probably depends on Rioni, you know, coming good. But, but I, th- I think looking forward to next year, it might tell you a lot if he comes back. Yeah, and I, I will also say I think he is. Um, I remember thinking this when Tejan left for a lot of at least the first part of 2022. Uh, it, you know, they didn't really have that kind of. Carlos likes players like that. Obviously, you need runners for Carlos. You need people who can. You know, he can play in on some, you know, inch perfect pass across the field or even just, you know, like uh, sort of in his zone. But you need guys who who can, you know, make space for Carlos with their pace a little bit. And I think someone like Chan Kalai and, as you said, Barrero, when he comes back, I mean, next year, that could be a really scary thing for other teams when those guys are in the team with Carlos. And then if you, you know, you get something, if Rioni starts to come good and starts to show his quality, that's potentially a really dangerous uh, forward line. But um, yeah, again, there's, there's a lot of hypotheticals that have to kind of work out for that to be the case, including Chen Kalai being um, an effective player, which I guess we're, we're yet to see. We're also yet to like hear this news confirmed by the club. So, but right. you know, I trust Tom's reporting and it, it does seem like he is, uh, he is indeed coming here. Well, I do think it's a smart move too to have him in on a loan with the option, or I don't know if it's an option or if it's he's triggered by a certain number of appearances. But I think that you know, it's kind of a low risk to move to do this now, and then if it works out, you bring him back as a DP next year. If it doesn't work out, you find somebody else. So it's, it's, it's to me, it's a smart move to to do for the revolution, whether or not it works out. Um, last one, we didn't get a question on this, but what, what was your thoughts on Ian Hark's debut performance? And you know, do you think that's what do you, what do you think he adds to the team? We talked a bit about it with with Blessing underperforming that there's some competition there and he might be better fit. But what did you think of his debut? Um, so obviously, you know, very kind of tough circumstances to come in for your debut. Um, because I think by the time he came on, they were down a player. So, uh, yeah, like welcome back to MLS. Here, all right, here you go. Here's this very like challenging scenario to just jump back into. Um, but you know, I, I felt that. Yeah, he he had that unfortunate thing where he deflected the shot that went in for the second goal. Obviously, he knew nothing about that. He was doing the right thing, trying to block the shot. So uh, no fault there. Um, yeah, I didn't really get a whole lot from his performance. I don't think he he had that big of an impact. I think from what I've seen from some of the like Dundee fans who talked about him, that's maybe kind of his game is that he's not the most like visible player in the midfield uh, in terms of like his impact, but. Uh, is just, you know, a reliable uh, center midfielder who will do things defensively for you. So, you know, that that could be a guy who definitely has um, a place on the 
on this current Revs team, especially as we were talking about, you know, that's not Latif Blessing's best position. So, okay, maybe you give Ian Harks a run in that. I don't know what his real capacity is as a player yet. I haven't seen enough of him, but I think there's a lot of potential for him to jump in here and, and get some minutes, especially quickly and especially over the next month as they go into Leagues Cup and they have you know two games coming up this week and so on and so forth. Um, you know, he, he, could, he could get a good run. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see more of him. Obviously, this was a, another tough situation for a guy to be put in for the reasons you said. I, I don't think he showed that much. No, nothing really negative either. But you know, I, I think, you know, there, you, you saw enough to want to see more to, to find out what type of player he is. So that's really all I can say about that. Um, on that note, we are at the hour mark, which is a good time to wrap things up. Uh, we also got the USA-Canada game, which is... Uh, I'm sure we both want to watch in the 30th minute, although I think there was about a 10-minute delay for the linesman getting hit in the face. So we haven't, we haven't missed too much I of it. That. I was trying to figure out. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, I was like, wait, is that... Well, because my first thought was, wait, bees? Are there more bees? Because we had that at the Revs game a couple... You know, like, there were there was a swarm of bees or whatever. So now whenever I see that, um, <laughs> I see... I think, you know, I saw, like, the, there were, like, bugs buzzing around him. So I was like, oh, is it bees? But no, apparently it's not. Anyway, yeah. That's, yeah I, think, that's I think a ball got kicked in his face, but oh, <laughs> unfortunately... Okay. That's way worse. I'm so sorry for him. <laughs> um, but anyways, any, any final thoughts um, on this last game on where the revs are and, and where can people find your writing and on social media? Have you, have you joined threads yet? <laughs> I, I was to say, I have not joined threads yet. I actually may like do that literally after we um, are finished here. I might, I might go sign up for that. Cause I've been meaning to do that, but uh, yeah, you can find me at Hayden H bird on Twitter. Um, and you can find my work on boston.com and also the Boston globe. Um, but yeah, I guess my uh, sort of final thoughts on them are, you know, they are now coming up into a very interesting uh, period of their season. They seem to have kind of completed their midseason transfer activity, or that's sort of what Bruce was insinuating was that they were going to make one more signing, which looks like it'll be Chunkalai, uh, and then that would basically be it for them unless they do other you know, sort of MLS business, I think was maybe the way he phrased it. And so, you know, this is kind of coming to the version of the roster that we're going to see for this season. And I know that that might be underwhelming for a lot of fans at the moment, but you also have to keep in mind that someone like Henry Kessler will come back. uh, Some of these other players who have been out will come back and that, you know, we'll really get a chance to see someone like Tomas Chancolai and what he can do. Uh, So there's still a lot of unknowns. And so that's, this is a very interesting point in the season. There's so many unknowns, and yet you sort of have an idea of the team. But um, yeah, they're they're uh, um, you know I think as we look at them, kind of going into this period, uh, you're basically just hoping Carlos doesn't get hurt because as we saw in this game, that was my biggest takeaway was just literally if he is upright, uh, you kind of have a chance with this current team, and if he's not. Uh, it's big, more of a, 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 a huge question. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, there, you know, we'll, we'll get more of a sense of them in a month, but yeah, this next month will be, um, really interesting time. I, th- I think I'd feel a lot better about the team if, if there was one more MLS move to get fullback death. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And that might be, you know, kind of what Bruce was thinking when he said something like that, but yeah, we'll see. 
<laughs> Anyways, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Aldonahue, and of course, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Threads. We'll see how long that lasts at Revolution Recap. <laughs> Please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts, and be sure to check out our friends at The Blazing Musket. Uh, thanks again to listening to Revolution Recap presented by Bet Online. I think we'll be back after the midweek game, but check with us on all those various social media forms I told you about, and, and we'll let you know. Hayden, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Always great to have you on the podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll get you on after a win sometime. <laughs> Love it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll, we'll see you again soon.